0: buddy welcome back to another podcast this one is off the post you have questions and we do our best to give answers as always joined well actually as always I'm Tom Jr., your host this week joined by the wonderful uh, Shana Goldman uh, Shana first question comes from a patreon user uh, perennial powerhouse it's a two-parter uh, hey What's more likely, Truba rebounds next season and beyond, proving this was an anomaly or cough, just a rough year. Or, we trade him before his no-move clause goes into effect, doubling down on our prospects. And then he goes on saying, what would a trade look like, um, you know, given his domestic situation, um, meaning like where he... Came from Winnipeg because his um, fiance is, I believe, just in a, in a medical program. Um, but I guess, what do you think? Is he going to rebound? Will they try to trade him? The Trubis situation. Your thoughts?
1: I don't think they try to trade him. I don't think. I don't think that's even like a consideration, honestly. And if they were to trade him, that's a terrible look for the Rangers and how they evaluate defensemen because that would be fails on. Smith, Shattenkirk, and Truba, which it, it's just, no. Nah. Um, I would say that it's a bad year. I would say that it was a much different system than Winnipeg and the um, lack of structure. Worst partners, you know, obviously not having Josh Morrissey has weighed on Truba, and uh, same could be said for Morrissey, too. Um, I think he'll bounce back. And I don't think that they try to rush to get out of his contract now. I don't know if anyone else is going to want to take on seven years, not knowing what what's going to happen with him either. You know, I don't think that any team would want to take that risk unless they knew that they had a better partner and better situation for him. But even still, it's just super risky. And I don't think the Rangers should be selling low. I think that's the biggest thing you don't want to sell low. So I think. You know they figure it out, and if it means tweaking something, adjusting something, finding a better partner, so be it. You know, they they can try, but uh, I I just don't see them trading him right now. What do you think?
0: I agree with what you said, um, and and thank you for for submitting the question, um, Dom Lucision actually posted a story today looking at jacob truba and josh morrissey two players who were paired together in winnipeg and the two tough seasons both have had um truba's fared a little better than morrissey and i really do think that this is just a rough year and you don't make this time of financial commitment and then cut bait um one year into the deal it's, it's I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, it's it would it would be illogical, and I think that we're going to see a different version of Jacob Truba next year. He's going to be more adjusted, and maybe we do see some changes, um, whether it's to the coaching staff uh, deployment or who he plays with. Um, but yeah, thank you for the question. Next one is from. Kush tastic. Uh, now that Toronto has acquired Jack Campbell, San Jose seems like the most likely destination for Gorgiev. What or who could they add to really bring in a great return?
1: Um, well, we covered this in the main show, but like, just a quick hit on it would be that I don't think the Sharks are good enough to be trading for anyone for their for a playoff run because they don't look like a playoff team right now. You know, they have problems up front, they have problems on defense. And obviously they have problems on net. If their only problems were in net, it's obviously a different story. So if they start selling, it's in their best interest to not acquire a goaltender right now and to just let things ride and then figure it out in the off season. And in the off season, Georgia to San Jose could make a ton of sense for both, although they don't have as many assets to start trading out. But uh I we we talked about this a lot already. So if you go back through bantering the blue shirts, You know you can hear our thoughts on where he could be traded because we do specifically get into that but for a deadline rental uh, not even a deadline rental then a deadline move it just uh, i don't see it happening i don't think that the sharks are good enough to be investing in anything until the season's over
0: yeah i agree with what you said um and yeah this is something that um you know shana is from the athletic uh the athletic also has a rangers podcast blue shirts breakaway with uh greg and ryan and they actually had kevin kurz on um this week and he sort of talks a little bit about the sharks and you know what it means for gorgiev so if you don't listen to that or you haven't listened to it yet um i recommend it for the perspective of someone who covers the team and has done so for quite some time but yeah um we covered this in sort of at length on, on the main show, and I just think it's a situation that at this point, a deal would not be likely better to revisit um, in the offseason. Uh, question from Andy White, which was addressed to me and Mike, but this week we'll make it. Hi, Tom and Shayna slash Shayna and Tom. Particularly in light of the issues with Leas and Kraftsoft this season, do the rangers do enough to help european prospects adjust to the cultural differences of living in new york as well as the expectations on the ice and media fan base thanks and thanks for all you do on a great podcast um i my initial thoughts on this is that the anderson and craftsoft situations while somewhat similar i i think it's a little bit different um and i don't really want to um they're both two, um what's the word i want to use there they're they're not not situations that we could probably adequately describe in this setting where craftsoff was he was a top prospect and he had the option to go back to the khl in his deal um so he took advantage of that obviously things didn't work out and then obviously there's a lot with the Elias Anderson, Elias Anderson situation we don't really know about, but I think you can look at players like Kapo Kako, Pavel Bucinevich, uh Igor Shishkin. There's European players that have been on this team, um, and I think they've adjusted pretty well. And again, you're talking about players who have participated in top international tournaments, full of media and coverage. Um, and I understand the aspect of living in New York City, but hockey is not a gigantic sport, so you can sort of live unassumingly. But um, I'd be interested in your thoughts, Shana.
1: That that's a deep question, <laughs> um, and it's I. It kind of feels like a generalization because. You know like you mentioned it's just two prospects i think that it doesn't matter how much the rangers manage their like expectations because these were two players coming in that everyone was going to have high hopes for um with their previous drafting in mind with the talent level and team in mind and in terms of need um so no matter what like it 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 was going to be tough for them to overcome those expectations but I, I think that every situation is different, every player is different, and it's too tough to judge the Rangers on that right now. But I think that John Davidson has put a lot of work into uh, their presence in Europe for their, you know for their prospects and their scouts and just overall improving everything that the developmental process can be as smooth as possible. So I think moving forward, even if there were some gaps in it before, and it, you know it's possible those things do happen, um, that if there were gaps before, they can they they're going to work through them more now and invest more of their time and efforts in easing the process as much as possible.
0: Yeah, uh, and I think. The organization will continue to look at ways. We know that they've hired more um, developmental coaches slash scouts and stuff, whether you look at Tanner Glass, who um, rejoined the organization, whether you look at RUTU, um, you know, being someone who who can help. So I, I think it's a situation that the organization will look at. And obviously, look for for ways to continually you know make sure that they have all of their players best interests in mind and if it's something that they definitely um can improve upon they will do so but yeah it's um it is a complex issue but uh we we appreciate the question uh this question is a little bit more uh straightforward it comes from uh, stefan a lot can change going forward but will the rangers make Brady Shea unprotected in expansion, or should they?
1: Ooh. Well, depends if he's still on the team. Start there. Um, I guess you have to look at it and say who else could be protected. And the fact is the only one that stands out right now as a must-protect would be Truba because of, um, you know, D'Angelo, we don't know if he'll still be on the team. If he is and he's doing well, he could easily be protected. But they could walk out with uh, Shea, Truba, and D'Angelo and really not have a problem because Fox is exempt. Any incoming prospect's going to be exempt. Stalls an unrestricted free agent by then. Um, maybe Ryan Lindgren plays himself into a more significant role, and that means that either Shea or D'Angelo is on the outs looking in. But um, right now, you know, I think, it would be Shea, D'Angelo, Juba, and it's pretty cut and dry, but that obviously can change, and it really only seems like it'll be one player to change unless they acquire a defenseman in the near future. Um, But they're very lucky to have the exemptions that they do, and it's going to make their life a lot easier.
0: Yeah, I agree with what you said. I think that it's a little early to be thinking about this, and the Rangers wouldn't get to a point where they would expose Shea. Um, if they feel that he's not in their future plans, I think they would trade him before that. Um, and again, the left side has kind of been a mess. He's not had a ton of support behind him where he's had to shoulder a lot of the tough minutes because Mark Stahl is not a good hockey player. He's not been a good hockey player for some time. Um, and Ryan Lindgren has, has been someone who has surprised me this year, being playing a little bit better than I thought. Um, but, yeah, I think um, if it ever got to that point, they would they would trade him first before um, exposing him. Uh, this question comes from Mateo. Hey, what would you prefer? Say nothing, Quinn or bus driver DQ. Personally, I'd rather have a coach. Tell me what he's actually thinking than someone who is polished like AV that you get zero info or insight.
1: I would beyond agree. Obviously, you know. You want a coach that's going to give you actual insights or anything at all instead of, I like dark and Pete. I think that Quinn does a lot of coach speak. I think he could be way better with it. And there are times, you know, he comes out and something super insightful or, you know, you see exactly what he means, where he's coming from, his reasoning. Um, I think it's tough for a coach to 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 balance what they can say to – to give enough information and still protect their players and defend their players and explain their rationale. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's a tricky balance and it's also, you have to look at the questions that they're being asked as well. Um, you know, maybe the questions could be more insightful too and whatever. If anyone has a problem with what Quinn says i think it, it i think you can look at it on both ends of it and go well Quinn could answer some questions better the questions could also be better but I, obviously the, the the want should always be the coach that comes out speaks has some feeling in it too you know it, it, it's a sport that everyone talks about passion and emotion and all of that and if a player has it everyone loves it then you have to understand if a coach has it too because they're just as invested So, obviously, that's better than a buttoned-up coach who says nothing at all. I I don't think that helps the players. I don't think it helps the media. I don't think it helps the fans, you know? So, that's my thought.
0: I feel that John Turrell was a good combination of both elements of Quinn and Um, A.V. A.V. was very coach beaky and it's like i joke around it with my with my dad all the time because it's sort of like it's like you know we got to evaluate our process Uh, i thought we had some good looks and chances and as long as we do things the right way we're gonna be okay in our own end and it was just like he was saying a lot without saying it where quinn does some of that but he will give you some insight you know Based on the questions that are asked him, um, you know, sometimes he will defer um, and sometimes he'll be a little bit of a mix. But yeah, I definitely prefer someone that tries and answers the questions than just sort of being very polished um, and not really saying anything. Um, before we get to our next question, just going to put in a, a brief spot for uh, an ad break. like Shana um, based on stuff you've written before from Richard Cologne. Do you like the NHL cap rules as is, or would you prefer the soft cap of the NBA, non-guaranteed contracts of the NFL? It feels like 75% of the league is always up against the cap, but there's no talk of change.
1: Um, I think there's... God, I lost my train of thought, sorry. Okay, I think that... Uh, The cap system is a good thing. I think that it helps put everyone on equal footing, which is important for a team like Arizona versus New York. And obviously, um, while New York doesn't have the advantage of a higher cap role, they have, you know, they could sign contracts differently and have deeper pockets that help with signing bonuses. And there's the perks of playing in certain cities. So it definitely helps, but um, it forces teams to be smarter, which I think is super important because um, they, they have to figure out a way to maximize what they have. And, If they screw it up, that's on them to figure it out and dig themselves out of a hole. Um, The cap's there for a reason with equal footing, but it's also there to keep general managers in check and not just writing blank checks and then trying to, you know, get their way out of it, which is why I don't love the idea of non guaranteed contracts. I think that players should be guaranteed what they have, and obviously their players may not live up to it and teams may want to get out of it, and there's ways for it. Maybe there could be more ways to get away, you know, get away from that, but you don't want it that a player gets screwed because the team uh, pushes themselves up to the cap and has to find their way out of it. But as for um, contracts and things like that and those rules, I know, Tom, you dislike them as well, and you've written about it before. But um, I think that the free agency system is not great because you don't want it that players, their first chance to really make money in a significant contract is when they're 27, 28, 29, which pays for past performance instead of future performance and it goes through a time when they're most likely declining instead of paying them through their prime. I think an entry level contract makes sense, but after that there needs to be a little bit more leniency for younger players because they should be getting the more significant contracts when they're younger and teams are starting to catch on to that, which is great, but um, they should have a little bit more freedom too. And they're not just assets and they should be treated as such and have a little bit more leverage in the decision. So, um, I think it could be improved for them by lowering the the age or some sort of minimum um, to become an unrestricted free agent. I think that could definitely use work. What do you think?
0: I definitely think the system needs to be changed. I think entry level deals need to be reworked so that a player gets to unrestricted free agency sooner. You really need to invert the pyramid. Teams should be in a position where they're paying for their most valuable players for their prime years. Doing so will um, put them in a position position where they don't have the money to sign a David Backus past his prime for big term and big dollars or a Louis Erickson or an Andrew Ladd. All of these players who's passed... um, their past performance is going to be greater than their future performance. And that's one way that you can address it. Um, I can see an argument for having a soft cap with a luxury tax because I think that the NHL should get to a point where if you want to own a hockey team, you should have the money to be all in and be able to um, spend. Obviously, that's not going to happen, but I think – in this system you might have better a better form of revenue sharing because the rangers the leafs you name it they would be spending more money um versus the current system where you have to be crafty and you have these quasi cap circumventing situations where you see with like toronto masterfully leveraging long-term injured reserve and um all of the intricacies of how much you can have and you the money you get back um just have a more straightforward system make owners uh pay money um and and just make it better i I think that if you want to own a team you should have to be all in not this yeah i'm only gonna spend this much i'm not gonna really invest in my team um but yeah that's just my thought on it but i know that obviously people have um different opinions um this comes from world by mike can you name one player our developmental coach has developed but janevich d'angelo fox were already good the d is m- so much worse than it is historically bad they're incapable of adjusting to neutral zone traps what has david quinn improved or brought to this team
1: um They've made improvements this year. Um, they tweaked their system. I think it was in like mid-December. So they and they like have trended up below the surface in that regard. Um, I think that David Quinn worked with D'Angelo. I, I'm going to give him a lot of credit for everything with D'Angelo because that was a player that bounced around with three teams, didn't have a place, didn't have a place with the Rangers either, and had a skill set that he just needed to figure out how to maximize. And obviously, there, there's a lot of work to be done defensively, and I'm not sure he'll ever get there. But a big thing of it was balancing his discipline but still being fiery and passionate. And I think Quinn really helped him figure out that balance. I think Buchnevich, he expects a lot of things for, and rightfully so, because he thinks he has a high ceiling and he pushes him for it. I don't agree with his tactics every time. I don't agree with sometimes his line of choices and how we'll expect him to bounce back in a place that I don't think he will. And I don't think he's exactly consistent in his accountability. But I do see some of it. You know, you can see Bucinavich bounce back and be pushed because he knows he's a better player. And it's less of a, he's penalizing him for not being good. It's more of, he's trying to get him to consistently play at the top of his game. And I think that's a good thing. But I don't, like, I can't stress it enough. I don't always agree with the methodology. Um, Filippino is one thing I Don't agree with a lot that's gone on over the last two years and it's like I know I've said it before I think that he's limited his time a little bit too much and I think that he could definitely trust him to play more um but I think with Kako he's tried to shelter him after it didn't work out and he's adjusted how he would coach him to try to shelter him and try to keep him as protected in the lineup as possible instead of just exposing him and I think in a sense that's a good thing um I think Adam Fox was really good when he came to the Rangers, and it didn't really take that much to get him to be good. But he played him. He figured out a partnership that he worked with, which is Lindgren, and he kept him with it. And I think that right there is super important because we can see coaches with a quick trigger finger. And while he does have – it's interesting how much they change the lines versus the pairs, but this year in general they've kept things a lot more consistent, and I think that's uh, noteworthy as well. But – Last year, the biggest takeaway for me with Quinn was the resiliency of the Rangers and not quitting. And it seemed their practices, too. You would hear a lot of reporting about that. But in games, they kept themselves in games. They put themselves back into games. They found ways to come back and, you know, really put up a full effort, especially if they or if they fell short in the beginning, bounce back from it and not let that game that first half define their game. I don't think we see enough of that this year. But last year in general, I was genuinely impressed with the resiliency of it. And it seemed like it helped improve the environment altogether, which we knew there were issues with after the last deadline and towards the end of Vigneault's tenure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. I'd say that he should get some credit for Bucinevich and D'Angelo because it's situations where he... He did tweak some things. Like obviously they were talented players, but they um, they've had some good results with him at the helm. Um, I think that it's it's a little bit early to to like you mentioned they've sort of turned a corner this year. Um, more so at the split. I know Rob Luker has posted charts sort of. Looking at a breakdown, I think it was like games 1 to 30 and from 30 on or, or some, something of that nature. Um, showing that there's been some changes made. I'd be interested to see how things go the rest of the year. Because maybe it's it's a situation where things had to take time. Um, and uh, it it's something definitely worth watching. Now this question... Um, it's sort of a follow up to that. And I think it makes a lot of sense where it, maybe it's not something that's just sort of a David Quinn thing, but from Justin uh, a couple of weeks ago and previously you have talked about Lindy Ruff's defensive system as the cause of the woes. I've never seen any breakdown of what the system actually is and why it fails. Can you discuss? Thanks. Um, so I, sorry. Do
1: you want to go
0: first? So I would say like a lot of things it's with Lindy Ruff. It's more of an old school mentality where the D is constantly giving up the blue line, giving up, you know, giving free zone entries, um, on the, the PK, it just seems that it's a very sort of traditional approach. It's, um, it's just a situation of the Rangers, the easiest way to explain it is that the rangers are sort of they're not being proactive they're reacting they're trying to let the other team dictate and then they're reacting they're not okay i'm going to force pressure on the the puck carrier or oh i'm going to try and push the play to one side it's just sort of a, a look and see approach and i feel that if you did some challenging at the blue line, which they haven't done in recent years because they didn't have defenders who could skate very well or had speed that they could get back into their their own end in the event that they um, made a mistake, that you wouldn't have so many chances against. You shouldn't just let the team set up and start moving the puck from side to side and, and getting off point shots. I, I think that's the easiest way to... Um, explain it um verbally but um i think this is something that a couple of people have written about um and you know after this i'll, I'll see if i can uh find some good examples
1: yeah uh, i'm in agreement with you and i think it definitely stems from just um conceding the blue line immediately and and letting the other team work their magic in the offensive zone you know when when you struggle defending you can't just give up ice you can't let them ride and walk into the zone and you know their gap control could be better they could um try to suppress shooting lanes and passing lanes and they overcommit. and like you said it's so much more reactive than proactive and then it's just such a scramble to get back after making mistake whether they're just standing around puck watching or um someone makes some sort of mistake and everyone else has to try to jump in and overcompensate but too often that's when you find players just standing in the crease and uh it it really doesn't work um i think the thing with lindy ruff is they had three defensive coaches under only even and the system was the same it wasn't his the fact was that he was not a coach that worked with defenses you know the defense in general and you know his last stint before the rangers was in dallas and defensive struggles were pretty evident too that it didn't make sense to hire a coach whose team struggled on the penalty kill and who struggled defensively as much as they did um the other part of it is i think the biggest thing with rep was that they struggled not just with the system in the last year of vigno's tenure they, they struggled to execute in ways that they hadn't before and it just felt that there weren't enough adjustments being made by their defensive coach to help work through them and fix them and fix them when they were starting so they could be stopped. Um, I think that was like a really big part of it. As much as it could be that a player doesn't execute and that's on the player, the coaches have to figure out something to help the players execute and help them play to their strengths and figure out an answer that it doesn't go south when they already have the systematic issues that they do.
0: That's a perfect way to uh, sum it up. Um, we have a few more questions and it's actually, these questions are all kind of the same, so I'm going to lump them together. So it's from Mr. Swift, it's from James Bunn, um, and from uh, Panera in 2020. They're all talking about Heinrich Lundquist, so the sort of gist of it is that, um, the writing is on the wall. They feel um, with Henrik Lundqvist, you know, sort of based on the comments Quinn made um, in in terms of um, you know going with um, a goalies the rest of the way. So, part A of the question is, do we think that Lundqvist will shock everyone and wave his claws to chase a cup? And based on that, how much do we think we're going to see of Igor the rest of the way?
1: So we talk about this on the other show and how we could both see him going back to Hartford for the playoff run. And there's a deadline for AHLers to be there, so it could just be a paper transaction. But it would make sense for him to play a bit there and then uh, go back and then go through their playoff run, which is not a knock to his play. It's just a good experience for him. Um, If a goaltender isn't moved, obviously, then who the hell knows what's going to happen, how they'll handle the rotation, because they've already uh, shifted strategies once. But, um, I think it was a motivational tactic, some of the comments about goaltending right now, and, um, I'm really not sure how it unfolds. You know, it, it could go either way, because they have three good goaltenders, and, you know, for as much as it's a good problem to have, there's not enough time for three good goaltenders to play. So, um... I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I see a trade, and I definitely wouldn't guess one midseason. But I can, I would guess that um, the Rangers try to figure it out sooner rather than later. And if they trade Girgiv, I don't see Hank just up and leaving them.
0: Yeah, it's very much a situation where this all of this is better suited in the off season when there's more time. Um, we've set up before, Henrik Lundqvist is, is someone that during the season – he lives in New York during the off season, he lives in Sweden. That's where he spends the majority of his time. So if he is going to move on from New York, I think he would prefer it be a situation where he can have his situation completely set up for not only himself, but um for you know uh, his wife and family. Um last question well rather questions comes from Dig Deep BSB. Oh, which 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 is Mike? Which Mike? Non-legendary Pokemon, original 150, would make the worst pet. Remember oh my when, god. Remember when Joe Fortunato thought Nemestikov would score 25 goals with the Rangers? Yeah, that was something. And would you rather eat a popsicle of frozen stew soup or a blended hamburger?
1: Popsicle frozen soup. Yeah, Easy.
0: that, that That's easy because you can have some, like, tasty soups that, like... There are some people that eat soup cold as it is, so it's not much of a thing.
1: Yeah. Um, worst Pokemon to have the pet? Okay, I think the problem would be... any, Any fire type would be a fucking struggle. Because you could be disciplining them, and they could blast you with fire. And not only that, they could just, like, accidentally... It's not like, oh, they accidentally shocked something, got it wet, or whatever. They... They got, they blew it up. They fired it. They, you know, like that would be a problem. And I feel like if you don't train them right, it, you got you have a bigger problem on your hands. So that's my pick.
0: I mean, like Voltorb can self destruct. Um, you could have a number of Pokemon that just decide, like you know, Diglett. I'm just gonna dig in the ground. Uh, electric types too can shock you. Um, you're trying to give them a bath, you have the water running, you get the wrong spot, and then they jolt you. Um, which of the original worst pet? Um, I think like Voltor, because it can just get really mad and self-destruct, and then it just, you know, fucks up your shit. Um, so yeah, so that's it for, um, off the post, um... A lot of a lot of questions this week you know some of them were things that we we talked about on the main show so we went a little shorter here um but thank you again uh to shana for stepping up this week and, and joining me on the show i i really appreciate it and um thank you again to our patrons you know if you aren't a patron consider subscribing to us give us five stars on itunes uh review All the stars. Us. It really means uh, the world to, to us. Um, and I, I sprung this on you last time, so I would hope that you knew I was going to do it again. Any words of, uh, to leave the, view, the listeners with? Go watch The
1: Bachelor and vote that Tom and Mike should watch The Bachelor too.
0: I may consider doing this if there's enough ground support. And uh, with that, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And uh, we will catch you again next week. Take care. Bye.